Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cinefans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story then you can become an 8mm Cinefan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. I'm Rebecca Taylor, Film Officer at Quad in Derby. This podcast is part of a season we're doing at Quad in September called Reforming the Image, which is focusing on black and ethnically diverse representation on screen. In the podcast, I'm going to be talking to people in the film industry from a diverse community about representation on screen and the films that they identify with. I'd like to thank the BFI Film Hubs Midlands for funding this podcast. So enjoy. Thank you for meeting with me, Ian, to talk about your film, Doubles with Slight Pepper. So I just wanted to discuss the film, really, because the biggest thing out of reforming the image is having more authentic representations of ethnic minorities and or just completely different viewpoints. And that's something that came through really clear with with your film because somebody that's never been to the West Indies I was able to sort of have a a real authentic feel of what it's like to live in uh, Trinidad and Tobago and also yeah just just generally the day-to-day life and and things like that which we rarely get to see here in the UK there's not many examples of West Indian films that are really shown in the UK yeah, I, I think, I mean, you're right. I, I would probably say the situation is, in fact, worse in North America, I would say, particularly with respect to these issues that you're talking about. But I would, and I'm not sure the reason for that is, I, I actually, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit eager uh, and optimistic, but I think Steve McQueen's you know, most recent work, I think is just a landmark for, you know, for Caribbean cinema and what that can actually do for for the industry or just even for audiences, just opening up audiences to just different accents even is mm. a big step forward. Are you referring to uh, small acts then? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I'm speaking to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if they've all been released yet in in the UK, but they're kind of just one by one. And the first one was just released and it just, it, it kind of blew my mind just how incredible it was. Mm. Uh, just in terms of the filmmaking, but also just in terms of, the tone and the absolute audaciousness of it to in every aspect from the casting from the dialogue that was written and how it was written it's just 
strikingly beautiful. And I think it's something I really needed to see, to be honest. It, it was, as a, as, as a filmmaker, I really needed to see somebody just going for it. And from what I can see, from what I can tell, having no reservations about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's, at the moment it's getting better, but the a black experience and particularly around the Windrush generation, you know, is very rarely spoken about in the UK, but it's starting to come alive. And yeah, it's, it's, it's good that it's moving towards that, you know, or more authentic, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's true wherever the diaspora is. I mean, there's the Windrush generation and the, there's still these pretty much the same age of people that also immigrated to, you know, to Canada or to the U.S. that have been probably here the same amount of time and made the same contributions to the countries. And they are in no ways represented or paid attention to by mainstream cinema. And it's people, you know, like, I guess of my generation that have really started to question that and to push back against that. And I think it's, it's, it's really important, the, I guess the first generation and the second generation, the filmmakers below me as well, that are coming up that are also part of the series as well. And they're starting to just to really have strong voices, which is really, you know, it's inspiring to me to see that as well from like the young filmmakers coming up. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So would you say, so in America, it, it, it's it's the same, it's similar? I would absolutely say yeah. so. I think, yeah. you know, my, so my family immigrated to Canada, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s. And before then, there were other people that, you know, even with, like I have older uncles and stuff like that, that moved to the US or moved to Canada even before that. So these are people that have been around, that have been in these countries for a long, long time. I like to use the word, they've been unseen, right? They are part of society. They are working, people know who they are, but they are really not, they're not being seen in any senses of the word, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether with respect to government or social services or, 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 or arts in any form that you want to mention, whether it's visual arts or, or written, it's, these are people that are just not paid attention to. And their stories are not heard or listened to, I should say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just wondering, so how did you come about making the film? So the film, it's, a, it's actually a really personal story to me, but it's, in a sense, it's not, I guess. So the story came out of this feeling that I had uh, many years ago when my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And if you know Alzheimer's disease, there's, there's no cure, right? It's just, it's just yeah. how quickly is that, that slope going to be? right? How quickly are they going to go down? And so my father was living in in Toronto and Canada at the time. I was still studying in New York and I'd be going back and forth a lot just to to see how he was going during this time. And my mother, who was his primary caretaker at that time, she, she wasn't, it didn't dawn on her or it wasn't so apparent to her the changes that were happening to him. And towards the end of his life, he had really become a completely different person. Like he was no longer the man that raised me. And it was like meeting, it was meeting your father for the first time towards the end of his life. And it was like, it was that feeling, that emotion that I was trying to capture with the film. So even though the, the father-son relationship that's depicted in the film had, is not at all the relationship that I had with my father, it's still trying to capture that emotion and that moment, those moments. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what came across to me because it it felt a very very personal film, just sort of in a sense of yeah, it, the, the, I felt like I could identify with all the characters and know of people in my life that are the same (laughs) and even some of the um, references so my family immigrated from Jamaica to the UK and my dad my grandmother moved to the UK first and then she sent for my dad and my younger uncle so I could identify with some of the the emotions and and and, and feelings towards that and sort of how the new life that you go to is not necessarily what you had pl- you were planning you know you had in mind yeah that's exactly right I, I feel yeah. like there's like this this trope about the immigrant story particularly in American cinema that just isn't necessarily true mm. uh, at all and is not a reputation of most or a lot of people's lives particularly Caribbean people's lives and their immigrant stories just again they're just they just haven't been told of course there are the people that have you know that have lived the american dream whatever that is and have made millions doing whatever but the vast majority of people of of immigrants to this country and i'm assuming to the uk and canada it's a lot of hard work and it's just people make really hard choices that frankly i'm not sure i would have done you know it's 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 big choices to to leave everything you know to some to go to some other country and some other climate where you are may not be welcomed as much as you think you would be. Yeah, uh, it's like a big great unknown that again I don't have to do it, and I'm not sure I would have. Yeah, I think as well. What I always think about when I think about my grandmother is that you just don't have the media that you have today. So she she used to talk about she was on the boat and she didn't really understand you know, didn't know what the UK was going to be like. Just she'd only seen it through the way that they portrayed it in Jamaica, which wasn't very authentic. So when she arrived, it was very different. And I know my dad always talks about running barefoot because he grew up in Kingston and, you know, in the hot sunshine. And then he had to move to North London in the UK and share a flat with other tenants. And, you know, he says he had to wear shoes for the first time. And he was like, this is not what I signed up for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, Yeah, the call is really tough, but also just I mean, you're just fed these images of, particularly around Christmas time, which is, you know, this kind of a, a weird segue that I wasn't thinking about. But Christmas time, as you know, is just such a special time in the in, in the Caribbean, and how that translates to, you know, to North America or to the UK, I think is really interesting, particularly with people that grew up in the Caribbean, what they think Christmas is like in other places. It's it's almost a rude awakening. You know, it's just like there's snow everywhere. There's people on sleighs and, you know, it, it's just not like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like this this, uh, this imagination that you have, whether it's my mother always tells me about this calendar that they always had up with pictures or drawings, like paintings of, of what Christmas was like in Canada. And it's not at all, you know, it's not at all truthful yeah. in any sense of the word. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah. So is it true that you're looking to expand and make it a feature film? Yeah. So the the script's been written. We've actually, I've been fortunate in that the Canadian government has been, has recently been trying to fund these stories. You know, younger filmmakers and particularly filmmakers of color 
to get these stories told. So I have received some money to, to turn this into a feature film. And we were we literally should have been shooting right now, but because of the border shutdowns, like we were supposed to shoot a portion of it in Trinidad, that country's been completely locked down. You can't get into the country. The Canadian borders, so we, I mean, I'm trying to to shoot next year, but it's it's actually, it's, it's been a big bummer, to be honest. It's been like a, been a huge letdown to have not made that project right now because I've been waiting for years to, to make this film and to yeah. finally get the opportunity uh, and to not be able to do it is uh, sort of been, it's, it's been sad. It's been sad. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why do you think, is, is, I don't know much about what the film industry is like in the, in the region, in, in the Caribbean, but the impression I've got is that there, there is a lot of emerging filmmakers and a lot of money that is now being put into projects. Am I right? I feel it really depends where you are in the Caribbean. Yes, there are there is a lot of of young talent. Absolutely no question. In terms of funding and in terms of money, I feel it's again, it's very regional. So there's of course there's the there's the Spanish language contingent, there's the French language, and then there's the English. And each one of those regions operates so so differently in terms of their industries. But if we're speaking of like just the, the English language, again, I I think there is money, but I, I feel like sometimes it just doesn't make it to, how can I put this, to the right projects or to the best All projects, right. I would say. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the industry is, the filmmaking industry is based around, at least in Trinidad, I can speak more towards Trinidad than the other, the other countries, but there's a lot of commercial work, you know, for television and, and music videos and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of actual local television content or films, there's very little of that that's being that's being produced, and a lot of that I feel is on the audience as well. Unfortunately, despite the quality of work that's coming out of the region, a lot of the local audience doesn't support the filmmakers and will not go and see these films outside of special events or festivals. Like if you have festival screenings, most of the time people will come out and support it. But if you're going to try to do a theatrical run, I feel that's that can be a little bit more difficult to pull audiences in there because again like you're you're up against the the north american and american media machine of mm. of hype and the avengers and all these other big movies that that people are, are are really seeing and also bollywood films in trinidad have a huge have a huge audience and so to get people excited about local content i feel is a little bit is about is difficult and so like there's this weird chicken and egg chicken or egg situation where there's all this talent and stories to be told but it's hard it's hard for audience to pay for them but then also it's hard for people in the private industry to pay for these films to get made or to invest into these films because they just don't feel that audiences are going to go out to see it and they're not going to make their money back. And so it's a weird situation of that's unfortunate that I haven't really seen. It's been very hard for people to, to crack that situation of getting the public to support a film and make it financially feasible outside of the government setting. And even that is, little, is, is difficult because of, uh, with Trinidad, when the, you, when, the, when the economy goes bad, there's a lot of that funding gets gets eaten up and is no longer available. Also, when there's a turnover in government, which just 
you know, that's like a whole other thing as well, where funding can be completely changed. And that's how fund films will either get funded or not, can be based on the economy and also based upon a change in government. And so all of those things just make the situation far more difficult, I would say, for, for Trinidadian filmmakers. Yeah, it's a similar, I would say it's a similar situation in in the UK, just on my experience as a film programmer, trying to get the, you know, the, lo- the local West Indian community interested in films from the region. And for the same reason of that, we're so, we're used to the North American, you know, Af- African-American black experience portrayed on the screen that, if it hasn't got some, you know, big rapper or famous actor in, we just can't seem to get audience interested. And it's it's the same in the UK in the sense of when I was growing up, the only representation of black representation that I can think of was from America. And I think that that's now become a consequence in the UK. It's starting to shift, you know, thanks to like, you know, Steve McQueen with with Small Acts, that's showing on a BBC iPlayer and the BBC, which, you know, is the main channel. So even if you haven't got cable, you know, you should be able to see them. So yeah, I think it's changing in the UK, but yeah, it's the same experience. And it's just a shame, really, because coming from a personal perspective, I was always seeking a, di- a different side because I could never I- identify with that African-American experience because it was just so removed from the life that I lived. And so, yeah, it, it, it's the same struggle here. You know, you, you touch on things that are like completely true to, to my experience as well. You know, there's actually, you know, growing up, there was one show, there was one British show that we got that the local provincial channel played, uh, Desmond's. I'm not sure if you remember oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Desmond's actually recently revisited it and purchased the DVD collection of it. And it was brilliant at the time. It still is, I think, really funny. But aside, but that was like the only show, that was like the one show that you could see that had people speaking in a Caribbean accent. Yeah. Um, even though they were, you know, living living in the UK, which is really far away for us, it was like, yeah, actually, that's exactly what we're kind of going through. But you're right; like, so much of it is fed through just this American, African American experience, which it's just not doesn't resonate with with me and my family in in any senses of the word. And trying to get that, trying to trying to make films as a result of that is hard because there's no example that you can show to that you can show people. We're going to make a film like, you know, Spike's Do the Right Thing or something like that, which is, you know, he's done so much for the African-American community, but there's nobody like that that we can point to and be like, we're going to be like that. Or this film is going to be like this because there's nobody else doing it or there's no one else that has done it that we can point towards. And so as a result, when you're making a film, it becomes much more difficult because it's just, it's out of these people's minds. Like it doesn't make sense to them of what your film can actually be like to see a story that represents them or has a reflection of their, of their experience because it's, they've never seen anything like it. So there's no reference point in any way. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important. Yeah, that's definitely 
and hopefully that's what will you know will be an example that will build on and we, we just need to sort of rally together and make sure that you know it boosts its popularity and you know I can't stress enough you know as a programmer I'm like please just come and see this film you know to support it so that they're able to say listen look we've got an audience you know and they're able to get another film made otherwise it's never gonna move you know forward (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and that's also what's kind of troubling as well is that, so, you know, my film has been fairly successful and it's solely because of, I hate to say it, but it's because of white audiences and white programmers that have, you know, the film premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, which was, you know, which is my hometown. It meant a lot to me, but those were primarily, those were white programmers. Yeah. And the vast majority of the audiences that went to go see it is in cinemas, at festivals and whatnot, were, were white. And it, it's difficult because when people do see it, when the community does see it, they love it and they speak to it and they champion it. Mm. But it almost, I'm not sure if it was, the film would have been as successful if the white programmers and people that do have the power to program it and to show it haven't been so supportive of the film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Because that's another thing that I would say in the UK is getting better. There's more and more diverse, you know, programmers from more diverse backgrounds. And actually myself, I've only been working in film exhibition for for four years, so I'm relatively new. But I was actually on a trainee scheme that was particularly from from for people from ethnic backgrounds that want to get into the film industry, want to get into film programming. So I think in the UK, they're trying to change that and try and change that voice. So, you know, but obviously it's, yeah, it's a very slow change, but yeah. Right. And, but it's like sort of even at all levels of the industry. So, you know, there's the films getting made, there's the people programming it, which is Mm. terrific, but also just in terms of, of critics and criticism, you know, for the most part, it's still the vast majority of, of critics that are that are paid attention to is mostly mostly white men in terms of the big media outlets. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up on Siskel and Ebert, you know, those and those are really specific viewpoints, um, yeah. and that's that's also really difficult because still to this day, you know, again, you can program it. But are people going to come see it is solely based on, I don't say solely, but it's a big part of it is critics championing a film and saying, you need to go and see this. And audiences listening to, to those critics or, you know, having the same taste as them and going and trusting their word for it. So it's just, you know, all levels, the wholesale industry needs to, needs to change. And that's slowly happening, I'd say. Mm. that's interesting you say that because that was what I was going to ask because it's very much the same in the UK what we say is the broadsheets like a guardian and the telegraph and things like that all the film critics are a majority of them are white male and as a programmer it's kind of frustrating when I see the the critics what they say about the films because particularly my audience they very much follow what the critics say and if they don't recommend it that means it's not a good film or if it's not got 
a good marketing campaign or they haven't heard of it, it means it's, you know, the quality isn't very good. So, yeah, so it was interesting to to hear that, you know, it, it sounds more similar in the, in the States. Yeah, and it's I, I, I don't make films for critics, right? But I, I, I don't underestimate the power that they have and their importance in the industry because you do need, like, there's just so much content, right? There's so much content that's being produced and more and more curators of, of, of taste, I hate to use that word, but, you know, people that, that you can trust that say, okay, this, this work is, this work is worthy of your time or there's something interesting happening here. That's, that's actually really important. And, and unfortunately, like I kind of, I don't want to say unfortunately, but the truth is, is that I do listen to a lot of, or I do read a lot of criticism, not necessarily a film, but when it comes to books and when it comes to, to music in particular, because I just don't have the time to, to, to go and listen to everything that's out there. And if there's this one person that whose taste I usually align with, We'll say, aha, well, if you like all this other stuff that I like, you're probably going to like this. Mm. And they've sort of done the work for you. And it's made my life a lot easier. And I know that's exactly what happens with, with film as well. And for better, for worse, that's still kind of the system. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's just general as well. Like, I'm just thinking, like, I always used to think when I went to a school that was predominantly white and we have to do like GCSE, I don't know what the equivalent would be in Canada, but it's sort of like at the end of high school, it's your last qualification. And we used to have to study, but majority of the people we studied was <laughs> oh, white guys, dead white guys, you know, William Shakespeare, Charles Dickens. And and also I found that just I couldn't relate to a lot of the books that I was studying and the things I was studying. And, and I think it's the same with, you know, with film criticism. It, you know, you feel like some maybe, may, you know, it's not always the case. You know, you, don't, you can identify with a background or, a, or a, somebody that's from a different had a different life than you but I do think there is a little bit and I'm just speaking for myself in the sense of you know when you can identify something you have a bit more of a relationship with it so sometimes I feel like when it comes to film criticism is that they can't identify with it so sometimes they miss the point of the film but not always but yeah 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 so I'm, I'm a I'm a professor I, I teach I teach filmmaking as well yeah. And one of the things that I try to do is, or that I'm trying to do, is to change the canon of what of what film is, right? Yeah. And so, to this day, I still haven't seen a lot of these, you know, great films. Like, I still haven't seen Gone with the Wind. I still haven't seen Casablanca. And I feel like that's, that's okay, you know? And that, it's a weird feeling, or it's weird when people are like, these are the films you need to see. Or if you want to be taken seriously as a filmmaker, these are the films. Yeah. As opposed to this whole other world of films, like the Caribbean has a long history of films that have been making ever since films have been been making. You know, there's a history in the in the Caribbean, mm. and we just we just don't see it. Or there's a history in every country in the world. There's films that have been been made um, throughout history, and it's just unheard of as opposed to this one select group of films that we celebrate that the industry continues to celebrate and look to and that's a problem you know it's a problem when it comes to criticism when it comes to 
to to cinema studies. It comes to the problem with all of that, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I get, I get, oh, I get no. quite easily. Yeah, yeah. It's gone deeper than I was expecting. <laughs> so, what are you up to um, next? Well, there's a you know there's a couple of things. So yeah, there's that there's that feature film that I've been that will hopefully shoot next year, pending all these shutdowns. I'm also in the midst of uh, an adaptation of a book about a another a West Indian family in Toronto, which speaks very true to my experience. It won. It, it was actually really it's a celebrated book in in Canadian literature. So. I've been fortunate to be able to adapt that. So I'm in the midst of working on that. They also do a lot of work for television for Sesame Street, the the children's show. Yes, yeah. I, I direct a lot of uh, a lot of stuff for them, which is always fun. Yeah. <laughs> totally different thing than. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's still a great experience to be able to direct things, right? Any yeah. any opportunity I get to keep working and work with terrific crews and yeah. Also at the same time, you know, make things that will be seen around the world and actually does have an impact on on children is is important to me and, and yeah i don't get rich off of those in any sense in any way but at the same time it's the work that most people will see you know and the the, the frustrating thing is that my my name is never on those things but at the same time i know it's uh it's reaching an audience and it's important but i've also been shooting a documentary in trinidad before everything kind of went went down about this one particular, he hosts a, a, a show on crime in Trinidad called Crime Watch. His name is Ian Allen. And okay. it's perhaps the most, do you know it or? Well, we have a show in the UK called Crime Watch, but I don't know if it's the same. It's not the same. I guarantee you it's not the same. I, <laughs> yeah. I would assume that's not a coincidence of anything <laughs> in, in Trinidad, but he's a really, he's a very polarizing figure in, in Trinidad. Some people love him, some people hate him. Okay. And the show is is also very polarizing. People really either hate it or they love it. But I would say it's easily the most popular show in Trinidad. And it takes place, it's, you know, it's that, or it runs during during the peak news time, like six o'clock every day in Trinidad, an hour long content of just him talking about crime in Trinidad. And so it's wild. So I'm doing a documentary on on him and that show. We're in post-production on that. Okay. Yeah. What What's the TV like in Trinidad? Is it predominantly american tv or uh yeah for the most part most people have cable television at this at the stage and yeah it's yeah. primarily it's primarily foreign content yeah. um, there are a few stations that are completely local that are that are just showing local but the vast majority of people are watching american television aside from like the local news yeah yeah but you know aside from that it's all it's all american yeah yeah Okay, yeah. From Florida, nonetheless, too, which is even more problematic, too. Their, their American news is coming from Florida, and that's the whole other issue. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, all the best with your projects. <laughs> Thank you. You too, yeah. Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, keep yeah, I'll keep in contact and have a look at what you've got in the pipeline. Thank you for talking to me. 